Matthew chapter 5. And we're going to go from verse 27. This is part of the Sermon on the Mount. We've been looking at this the last few months that I've been preaching, probably the last year now. Um, Matthew 5. You've heard it said that it was said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. It has been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for marital unfaithfulness causes her to become an adulteress. And anyone who marries the divorced woman commits adultery. This is one of those weeks where you think, okay, it's interesting that we we often preach systematically through the Bible. So I've been preaching systematically through Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And you, you take each passage as it comes. And this is the next passage that you get to. And it's probably good that we do that because the temptation would be, for me... As I come to this passage to think, I don't really want to preach on this passage. Um, because it's a difficult passage. Um, it's difficult to, partly to understand, and it's just difficult, I think, for sometimes for people to hear. But it's important that we preach on every passage in the Bible. Because that all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, 2 Timothy 3.16 tells us. So... Um, This is what we're doing, and we're going through this passage today, and it's useful, it's helpful for us to understand. As I say, Jesus is, uh, we're going to look at both of these together, they're separated in in the NIV, but I feel that they're just speaking about the same issue, really. And uh, Jesus is in the middle of a passage, really, uh, where he's outlining God's standards, um, often referring to the Ten Commandments, and we realise, as we're going through this, we can't keep these rules, How, how can we do all this? As we listen to what Jesus says, that throws us back to God and says that actually only with God can we be saved. How can we be saved? Well, with God, all things are possible. Um, So in this passage here, Jesus is turning his attention to marriage. He's looking at marriage here. And he's he's reaffirming, reminding uh, the people of God's high view of marriage. He's reminding us today. Uh, of what God's view of marriage is. So let's start off by reminding ourselves of that before we dive into this. We look at, see what God thinks about marriage in, right back at the start of the Bible, in Genesis. Genesis uh, chapter 1. God has created the heavens and the earth and created different things on different days. The, the sun, the moon, the seas, the creatures of the earth. He saw all of those things. It says they were good. And then it comes to verse 27 of Genesis chapter 1, and it says, God created man in his own image, in the image of God he created him, male and female he created them, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful, increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it, rule over the fish in the sea, the birds of the air, every living creature that moves on the ground. Uh, And it goes on in verse 31, it says, God saw all that he'd made and it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. Male and female was very good. Human beings, very good. Then in chapter 2 of Genesis and verse 24, it talks about Adam and Eve. And from, actually, well, let's go from verse 
22. The Lord God made a woman from the rib out of Adam, uh, and he brought her to the man. And the man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. The man and his wife were both naked and felt no shame. God creates Adam and Eve, the first husband and wife, and they become one flesh together. That kind of refers to the intimate act of marriage, sexual union, coming together in marriage. And God says they're united together. It's two people becoming one. And this is very good. And uh, Jesus, in Matthew 19, when he's talking about this, these same passages, in Matthew 19 and verse 6, Jesus adds, um, so they are no longer two but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let man not separate. You'll have heard those words spoken at weddings because it's what God wants. God joins a man and a woman together. And Jesus says, what God has joined together, let man not separate. Nothing should come in between this union, this man and this woman coming together, intimacy, unity. Nothing should break that. Nothing should separate that. The marriage relationship is exclusive just for these two together. And it's lifelong. It goes until someone dies. That is God's plan for marriage in a nutshell. And it remains so today. It's not changed today. Today, a couple will leave their father and mother. They're united together because they've been joined together by God. They'll become one together. They'll be intimate together. But they're not to separate And nothing should separate them. No one else should be allowed into that most intimate of places. In fact, actually, marriage is probably the best illustration that we can have of what the Trinity is like, what God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit is like. Many people try and come up with illustrations which are like uh, the Holy Spirit, what, what they might be a bit like. But actually, marriage is the closest we get. It's not perfect. It's not a perfect illustration because there's only two people involved in marriage. But the Trinity are three distinct people, three distinct persons, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, yet they are one together. And in a marriage, you've got two distinct persons, man, woman, husband, wife, but they're one together. They're one together. It's, it's something of a reflection of God. A marriage is something of a reflection of God. It's a high and weighty thing. It's not to be taken lightly. When people get married, it's not just fun. It's a serious matter. It's a weighty thing before God. It's a covenant together, a promise. Promises are made to each other which are not to be broken. I will be with you for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer in sickness and in health, till death us do part. I remain faithful to you, forsaking all others. Serious promises that people make when they get married, reflecting God's view of marriage. It's not to be broken. But of course, this is what happened at the start. This is what God's intention was. But then sin comes into the world very soon after God's laid out his intention In the early chapters of Genesis, in Genesis chapter 3, sin comes into the world. You know the story. And so marriage, along with everything else, is corrupted. 
human relationships corrupted. And these two issues that Jesus is addressing here in Matthew chapter 5 were the big issues which attacked marriage, attacked God's view of what marriage was, God's intention, God's desire. Adultery and divorce. And they're big issues today. Adultery and divorce. And as ever, Jesus takes the law and he looks at what the law says. And in in this law about adultery, it's one of the Ten Commandments, do not commit adultery. Jesus takes it and he takes it further. He shows that when society is getting more liberal on things and more permissive and just saying, oh, it doesn't matter, it doesn't really matter, let's not take it too seriously, let's not too head up about these things. Actually, God does take it more seriously. The law stands there, do not commit adultery. And Jesus is saying, but it's more than that. It's not just about sticking to that law. It's more than that. Let's look at what God's intention it is. And when he does that, that always throws us back onto a dependency on God. The Pharisees, the teachers of the law, we saw in, uh, in, the, in Matthew chapter 5 earlier on, they were just like, well, these are the rules. This is what you've got to keep. Jesus is saying, no, your, your righteousness, he says, in verse 20, your righteousness needs to surpass the Pharisees, that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, or you won't enter the kingdom of heaven. It's more than that, he's saying. And so we might think, well, who can be saved? Who can do that? Who can be saved? That's what the disciples said, isn't it? Like we saw last week in Matthew 19, 26. With man, it's impossible. With God, all things are possible. Let's have a look at these two. Adultery, first of all. The seventh commandment. Thou shalt not commit adultery is, is how people will remember it. Don't commit adultery. Don't have relationship, sexual relationship with someone other than your husband or wife. Now, the Old Testament laws on adultery were strict. In fact, it was punishable by death. We see Leviticus chapter 20 and verse 10. If a man commits adultery with another woman's wife, with the wife of his neighbor, both the adulterer and the adulteress must be put to death. That was the law. Breaking the marriage bond by adultery was punishable by death. And you'll have seen in the news maybe recently, it still is in some countries. They're very strict on this. The Pharisees, in their keenness to think, I'm all right with God. I've kept all these laws. Remember, you mentioned the Pharisees with their tick list of the, of the commandments. Yes, I've done that one, done that one, kept that one. I haven't stolen. You know, I haven't killed anyone. It was last week we were looking at that. Oh, adultery, yep, got that one right. They were thinking that they were all right. They were patting themselves on the back. We've kept that one. It's not an issue for us. We don't need to bother about it. But Jesus is saying, look, it's not just about that. It's not about sticking to the letter of the law. He takes it back a step. Like he did with murder, remember last week. He said, even if you're angry in your heart towards your brother, it's the same thing. And he's saying here, taking it back a step. Oh, you've heard that it said, don't commit adultery. He says, but in verse 28, I tell you, anyone who looks at a woman... Actually, the, the more accurate verse is probably at someone else's wife. Uh, looks at someone else's wife lustfully. Has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So he's not just saying it's just the act of adultery. He's not just saying seeing someone else's wife and thinking, right, and, 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 and going with her. It's actually the looking at someone else, someone else's wife. 
and desiring, desiring to have a relationship with her, desiring to be with her. Jesus is saying, you're planning it almost. If you're planning it, it's the same as though you had committed it. You've already committed adultery in your heart. What he's actually saying is he's he's highlighting the 10th commandment. So he's he's been looking at the 6th commandment, don't murder, looking at the 7th commandment, don't commit adultery. And he's he's highlighting the one commandment, the one commandment that that the Pharisees couldn't sort of say, look, I've kept that one. Because all the other commandments, you say, oh, I've not killed someone. Yeah, I've not stolen anything. Yeah, I've not committed adultery. But when you get to Deuteronomy uh, chapter 5, Deuteronomy chapter 5, it's the fifth book of the Old Testament, and verse 21, the tenth commandment is this, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife. You shall not set your desire on your neighbor's house or land, his manservant, maidservant, his ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Not to covet your neighbor's wife means don't desire it, don't want it, don't want her, her, it, don't want her. Don't want to have a relationship with your neighbor's wife. But the reason that people... The Pharisees wouldn't have liked that. They wouldn't have liked that because you can't. That's internal. That's what goes on in your heart. That's what's going on in your mind, in your thinking, in your desires, what you can feed. And you can look fine on the outside. Oh, I'm a moral, upstanding person. You think no one knows what's going on inside. All the other things can be external. Jesus is saying, never mind, you haven't committed adultery. What about the 10th commandment? What about that? What's going on in your mind? What are you desiring? What are you wanting to do? What are you planning to do? It goes into the hearts of people, thinking no one will know. Jesus is saying, no, God knows. God knows. And you're guilty. In this passage, Jesus isn't isn't condemning men because he's talking mainly to men here, but obviously we can apply some of this male and female. So, but obviously in these days he was applying it to men. Um, Jesus isn't condemning men finding women sexually attractive. He's not saying, you, you know, you mustn't find anyone else attractive. Because, well, if he was saying that, that would definitely mean that all the men would just go, how can we be saved then? How could anyone be saved? Because actually, that's, that's a natural thing. Especially for men, I would say. But probably for women as well, to some extent. But for men, you could, we're designed to look and, and find women attractive. He's not saying, don't find women attractive. That isn't what he's saying here. He's saying, it's what happens after that. So you can see someone and think, oh, you know, they're attractive. But it's what happens after that. Where you allow your thoughts and where you allow your actions to go. If that person isn't your wife. By the way, in all this, it's okay. It's okay to lust after your wife. That's okay. It's okay for a wife to lust after their husband. If you're not sure about that, just read the Song of Songs. It'll probably convince you. That's okay. But it's about lusting after someone else. A good example of, of the sort of thing uh, where, that Jesus may be talking about is, is what happened to David with Bathsheba. In uh, 2 Samuel 11, 2 Samuel 11 and verse 2, David's married. 
And it says, one day, one evening, David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of the palace. From the roof, he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful. At that point, David hasn't done anything wrong. David's not done anything wrong at that point. He's walking around. He's not looking out for anything. He's not looking to find someone. He's not looking to do anything. He looks and he sees. He sees a woman bathing. She's beautiful. He, he will notice that she's beautiful. He's still not done anything wrong at that point. But then he does. And David sent someone to find out about her. Oh, she's beautiful. Oh, I wonder wonder who she is. He lets his mind go on. He starts to plan something. He sends someone out. Just find out who that was. There's a woman bathing over there. Just find out who she is. Is she married? Who's she married to? What's her name? He's finding out because his desire, his thoughts at that point are, I want her. I want to be with her. And the man said, isn't this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam and the wife of Uriah, the Hittite? So he now knows that she's married to someone else. But he wants her. He's started to make plans already. In his mind, he's gone past that. She's beautiful. And things are happening. Then David sent messengers to get her. He's making plans. She came to him. And he slept with her. Then she went back home. And then she conceived and said, I'm pregnant. Oh, dear. And it all goes wrong. The consequences from there, if you know the story, you will know it ends up with with her husband being killed by David, really, sending him out to war to be killed. Front line. It starts with a look. But where does it go? That's what Jesus is talking about. Planning. Imagining it. What would it be like to be with that person? Jesus is saying, you're already committing adultery with them in your heart. Looking and feeding that desire to take things further. What would that be seen as today? Well, I don't know, a few things. Flirting with someone. Flirting with someone. Some people would say, oh, that's harmless fun. Just in a social situation, in a party, you can sort of flirt, just have a conversation with people. It's just a bit of fun. No, it's not. It's not a bit of fun. It's something which brings you closer to the edge of adultery. I've I've even seen people in church settings, in in church groups and parties, and you think, that's two people. They're, They're married to other people, but they're flirting with each other. They're brothers and sisters in Christ. You wouldn't flirt with your brother or sister. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. And actually, when, if people see that, others should step up and, like you would maybe if, you're, if you had a sister who was, uh, who was someone was coming and, uh, and being disrespectful towards, you might think, well, I'm going to sort them out. I'm going to stand up for my sister. Well, yeah, it could well be that the same thing is, is required here. There's things that just are not appropriate. It's not a bit of fun. It's starting to plan. It's starting to just... Make eyes at each other. Just enjoy each other's company. Just think, oh, I'll sit next to this person. Again, I quite like the thought of just sitting next to them. It's not going to go any further. I'll choose where to sit. I'll choose who to talk to in my core group. Who are you going to sit next to? Who are you going to talk to? Who are you going to spend time with? Who are you going to have a laugh with? Those sort of things, when they become intentional, 
When you're thinking, this is where I'm going to be, that's starting to plan. It's starting along the lines. It can end in disaster. There's so many different ways now that this can happen, actually. The internet has provided far more ways. And, you know, I'm not going to in, increase temptation by outlining what all those ways are. But there's, there's potential for things to happen in secret with other people. Don't fool yourself and think it's all right. Don't be fooled. It's just a bit of fun. No, well, no, they're not even here. It's not, it's, not, it's not adultery. They're not here. No, Jesus is saying, yeah, it is. That's what it is. It's adultery. We warned all through the Bible, various parts. Proverbs warns about this quite a lot. Proverbs 6, 29. 23, sorry. Proverbs 6, 23. Proverbs says, For these commands are a lamp. This teaching is a light. And the corrections of discipline are the way to life. Keeping you from the immoral woman, from the smooth tongue of the wayward wife. Do not lust in your heart after her beauty or let her captivate you with her eyes for the prostitute reduces you to a loaf of bread and the adulteress preys on your very life. Can a man scoop fire into his lap without his clothes being burned? Can a man walk on hot coals without his feet being scorched? So is he who sleeps with another man's wife. No one who touches her will go unpunished. We can think it's all right. We can think it's a bit of harmless fun. The Bible says it's like getting hot coals and putting them on your lap and expecting we're not going to get burnt. Oh, no, you are. Yeah, you're going to get burnt. Jesus illustrates the strength of what he's saying here by, by, by saying this. It seems quite, quite stark. If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. And throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than your whole body to go to hell. All right. Jesus isn't actually advocating that we do this. This is a bit like we talked about last week. Remember last week when I was talking about how uh, Jesus uh, and sometimes uh, other people can exaggerate just to give the strength of what they're trying to say. All right, so he was, he was saying, um, we talked about, looked at when he was saying, hate your mother and father. He said, actually, he probably doesn't mean that. He, he was just saying, this is a strong thing. Take note of this. Do something radical. He's saying here, gouge your eye out. Cut your hand off. Now, I don't believe Jesus was, cut, was actually meaning to do that. Because if you, if you were seeing someone and you're gouging your eye out, well, you still have a left eye left, wouldn't you? To, to feed this lust if it's a problem. And actually, even if you gouge both eyes out, you've still got an imagination, um, which you can still feed your lust. So he's, he's not saying that's going to cure it. Although, um, I mean, I suppose the fact, if you did gouge your eye out and cut your hand off, and then you went up to this person who you quite fancied, they probably wouldn't be interested, so it might put an end to it. Um, so maybe Jesus was feeling that. Are <laughs> you interested? <laughs> No, I don't think so. What he's saying is, do something about it. Do something about it. Don't be apathetic. Don't just think it's all going to be okay. I could get away with it. Be fine. It's been fine up till now. It's a bit of fun. No, do something about it. It's serious. Take action. 
Change your habits. Change what you do. If you recognize there's danger signs, stop. Change what you are doing in this situation. If you are attracted to someone on the train on the way to work, and they're on the same train as you every day, and you, and you, sit, you're, you get regular seats, and you're sitting opposite them, and, you're thinking, and you, your mind starts to go, and you think, oh, they're nice, and you get into coffee. And you see it going down a certain way. Do something about it. Sit in a different carriage. Catch a different train. You can put preventative things in, into place as well. Don't put yourself in situations where you're going to spend a lot of time with a member of the opposite sex. Don't arrange to give someone a lift to work every day in the car, even if you're working in the same place. Oh, just save, save on petrol. Things can develop in those journeys to and from. Be wise. Be wise. It's not a law. It's not saying don't ever talk to a woman. It's not saying don't ever give a lift anywhere just 50 yards down the road on a one-off occasion. It's not, there's no rules. It's just be wise. Don't get into situations where you're doing that. For, for those who counsel people, church leaders and, and maybe core group leaders, don't get into situations where you're counseling someone, talking to someone about their issues, who's in the opposite sex, one-on-one. Because there can be attraction that just grows. It happens so often in church life across, across, across different churches. Things can quickly get out of hand, and they do. So don't, don't spend that much time at all. Don't, don't, don't spend time one-on-one with people if you can help it, if they're in the opposite sex. It just puts things, it just puts things in the way. By the way, it's not, don't, often people can take things and, 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 and just get literal about it and legalistic. So it's, if, you've got, if you're single and the other person's single, it doesn't mean don't ever spend time one-on-one with single, with, with someone of the opposite sex. I, I remember a few, good few years back um, talking to a group of, uh, of single men and women. And uh, they, they regularly spent time, this is within the church, they regularly spent time socially together. And it, it just became apparent that at the end of an evening, some of the girls, some of the young women, would, would just go, and they didn't have a car, and they would walk home maybe a mile or so, and they'd walk home on their own at night, through the streets. And I said to the guys, guys, why, why are none of you walking at home? What's this about? Why are you, why are you just letting her, oh, I'm off now. Why are you just sitting there and letting her go? Who knows what, what dangers there might be? Just you know, walk at home. Well, I don't, I don't want to get into spending any one-on-one time with her. I don't, wanna, I don't want anything inappropriate to develop. I was thinking, for goodness sakes, you're both single. You'd, you'd rather just let her go and get mugged. I was tempted to call them a fool or a blockhead, but then I remembered last week. <laughs> I mean, obviously, it's, it's good not for, for single people as well not to stir up lust before they're married. And, and people who are going out together, you know, you want to avoid these things because of what marriage is about. You don't want to, you don't want to get there before you're married. You don't want to uh, bring tempt- undue temptation, but, you know, let's be wise about it. We can also apply this, uh, this in terms of cutting out off things into cutting out things in your life which might bring temptation to you. So, so things that I've mentioned, like the internet, TV, um, books, films, they, temptation is, is so much around. You may have to put things in place which just help you not to be led into temptation. 
So, for example, if you've got an internet, it might be quite useful if you're a bloke for, the, for your wife to just set up parental controls. You might have kids anyway, but your wife to know the passwords so you're not tempted to just get into, into websites that you, are not going to be good for you to see. Um, access to TV channels. Being, just be ruthless in what you see and read. Cut off sources of temptation. Jesus is saying, take it seriously. Take it seriously. The second thing that Jesus mentions here, which lowers God's intention for marriage, is divorce. Um, because obviously, you've got adultery where, where someone is coming in and is, is breaking that marriage bond. He's breaking that oneness together. And so the, the, the two who cannot be separated, the Bible says they're separated. Once someone else comes in, that person is joined, the wife or husband is joined with this new person. The marriage bond has been broken by adultery. And the second thing that the marriage bond can be broken by is divorce. It's the same thing. It's, it's a tearing apart of, of the oneness that God has brought with men and women, with husband and wife. Verse 31, it's been said anyone who divorces his wife must give a certificate of divorce. I tell you, anyone who divorces his wife except for marital unfaithfulness causes her to become an adulteress. And anyone who marries the divorced woman commits adultery. What Jesus is talking about here, really, when he says it's been said anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce, he's referring back to Deuteronomy and chapter 24 and verses 1 onwards which says, if a man marries a woman who becomes displeasing to him because he finds something indecent about her and he writes her a certificate of divorce, gives it to her and sends it from his house and uh, sends it from his house and then it actually goes on and talks about not, if she marries someone else and then get divorced from him, don't, the first person can't remarry her. Okay, I'm not going to specifically go into all of this this morning, but that's, that's what Jesus is referring to, that passage there. Let me give you a bit of background to what was going on. Divorce had become very casual in, in the society of the time. I guess like it has, has been here. You know, it's very casual, very easy to divorce. Probably easier than it is, is now. Because actually, um, people could just divorce very quickly. One of the poets of the day mentioned in his writings that he knew someone who'd been divorced ten times. Ten times. And what people used to just be able to do was they, they would come up, well, people, men, because women couldn't divorce. Women were the victims in all of this in their society. They couldn't divorce their husbands if they wanted. Men could divorce their wives. And so what would happen is, is you could get someone coming home, maybe drunk, and he's, he's, he's not happy with his wife. And even in his drunk state, he could just say, oh, that's it, I divorce you. That's it, I'm divorced, get out. And that would be it. That would be as easy as that to divorce his wife. And of course, the wife then is, is, is left on the street, maybe with kids, no one to care for, no financial provision. It's not like that she could necessarily go straight out and get a job like people can maybe do today. Um, women were just victims in all of this. And divorce was very easy, very common. So God legislated, God put rules into place um, which through Moses and the law, which made it more formal. It was like, well, no, you can't just come home and say to someone, I divorce you. You've, you've got to write a certificate of divorce. You've got to write it out. You've got to have a couple of witnesses. It's kind of the basis of our divorce today, that divorce is in place, um, you know, and it's not just easy to get a divorce. You, you can't just say, I divorce you, although things are getting more easy uh, to happen these days. 
God makes this formal. He puts legislation in. And it wasn't to be done for any reason. It was only if there was something indecent about their wife. And and, uh, Jesus points out in Matthew 19, uh, 7 and 8, that Moses permitted this because of the hardness of men's hearts. The Pharisees had said to him in... uh, In verse 7, why did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? Jesus corrects the Pharisees for a start because they said, why did he command? Why did he say they have to? Jesus says, Moses permitted you to divorce, didn't command you to divorce, permitted it because your hearts were hard. But it wasn't this way from the beginning. And he repeats the same thing. I tell you, anyone who divorces his wife except for marital unfaithfulness, and marries another woman, commits adultery. (laughs) And the disciple said, if this is the situation between a husband and wife, it's better not to marry. He's like, oh, you mean we can't divorce our wives? (laughs) It was quite stark in those days. You know, people were like, is this not an option open to us? Jesus is saying, no, it's not an option, really. Because husband and wife are meant to be one together, and it's meant to be lifelong. The Old Testament didn't actually say you can divorce someone because of adultery. Jesus said that. The Old Testament didn't say that. Well, why not? Because the Old Testament, adultery was punishable by death, by stoning. So you you didn't need to say, and you can divorce. No, they've been killed. (laughs) If if your husband goes off with another woman, that's adultery, right? They're both killed. Well, you don't need a divorce. You're single again. Yet free from the marriage. And so that wasn't there. Jesus says, except for adultery, but the Old Testament in Deuteronomy said, if you find something indecent about your wife, and um, what we, you know, we, don't, we need to find out what was meant by that. What was meant by that? Some of the Pharisees, some of the teachers of the time, had a very liberal view of what that meant if you find something indecent about your wife. So some of them said, if you come home and you find your wife has burnt the dinner, that's good enough. That's something indecent about her. Oh, you've burnt the dinner. I'm going to divorce you. That was what they were saying. Or if they think, actually, you're not attractive enough for me now. I've found someone more attractive. That was okay. That was classed as something indecent. And so you could divorce them. And those were the rules that the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they were keeping. So on the one hand, they're saying, I have not committed adultery. Jesus is saying, yeah, but you're planning it. You're planning to sleep with someone else. You've you've seen someone else. Actually, you're using the law and you're saying, well, actually, you know, I've I've seen this person. I'd really like to be with them. I'm not going to commit adultery. But what I'll do is I'll divorce my wife because she burnt the toast and then, and then I'll be free to marry this person. And that's okay. I've kept the law. Jesus is saying, no. What's going on in your hearts? You've not kept the law. You, you've kind of twisted things. You're making it out that anything's okay. Jesus is saying, that was the situation at the time. That was what, the, what, what people at the time of Jesus would have, have thought was okay. Some people. Some others said it was more strict, but some, some teachers of the law would have said that. And Jesus says, no, it's wrong to divorce. Because what God has joined together, 
No one should separate. In fact, God says in Malachi 2.16, I hate divorce. I hate divorce. He's reminding people about this one flesh principle that God has established, that when people marry, they join together until death. It's not about trying to find a loophole around it so that you can go off with someone else. The only exception that Jesus gives, the only exception that Jesus gives, is where there's been adultery. Because where there's been adultery, that one flesh bond that is broken by divorce has already been broken by the act of adultery. It's already happened. And Jesus isn't saying, he isn't going down the, 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 the punishment line of, we'll stone them to death. But he's saying, but you know, you can divorce in that, in that reason. Because almost it's, 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 the, it's the same kind of thing. It's like a death has occurred. Certainly the marriage has been p- torn apart. The, the two together have been pulled apart. And, and in which case then the other partner, the, the, the injured partner, the innocent partner, is then free to remarry. When you marry and become one flesh, that divorce and adultery break this covenant with God. This covenant with God, this relationship which reflects God himself, which reflects the Trinity, which reflects God's covenant, his promise with the church, that he'll never leave us or forsake us. That's what God promises us. That's what we promise to each other. It's horrendous. It's, it's inconceivable that we would look to pull that apart. So he says in verse 32, so if you do divorce your wife, then you're causing her to commit adultery. Why is that? Well, because you have have, have signed this piece of paper saying, well, I'm divorcing you. It's all gone through. But actually, before God, you're still one. You might have got a bit of paper. You might have got a certificate saying that that you're divorced and that's all okay. But before God, you are one. If no adultery has taken place, But you've divorced her, you've left her on the streets. And certainly in Old Testament times, she would have been destitute. She needed a man to look after her uh, and her family. So she's going to get remarried. You know, if adultery happens, if, if, you know, and divorce allowed, the legislation did allow for remarriage. So she's going to remarry. And she's going to join together with someone else. And when she joins together with someone else, before God, she's committing adultery. Because until that point, she was with you. You've divorced her. She's still before God with you. You've caused her to go off with someone else, marry someone else. She has to do that. And now she's committing adultery. And now you've made her an adulteress. Jesus is saying, is that serious? And anyone who marries that divorced woman is committing adultery too. Because it's so important to see this bond together. It might be legal, it's not right before God. Our society is very similar to Jesus' day. Just in its increasing acceptance and its casual attitudes towards marriage and divorce. We see it in so many different areas. We see it in the ease of divorce, that the laws are getting more and more lax in terms of being able to divorce. We see it in the attitudes of people living together um, with someone and then maybe separating and living with someone else. Um, marriages that just break up where that happens. We see it with people um, having uh, sex with one, you know, young people. It doesn't matter. We'll, we'll just sort of mess around. We'll experiment. We'll be with this person. Then we'll be with this person. Eventually, we'll find someone we marry. God's saying, actually, when you're with them, you're joining together. 
That's, you're, you're making this one bond. You're making this one flesh. And then you're wrenching it apart, then you're doing it again, then you're wrenching it apart. What's that? That doesn't reflect God. That doesn't reflect the glory of God, the splendor of him, the trinity, perfect unity together, three persons. That's what society is doing. Even this week, we've seen that um, Katie Price, Jordan, she's divorcing her second husband. She's been married to him for 11 months. Her reason, when she was asked why she's getting divorced, she said this, I had to get rid of him. He's got major issues. It's not a million miles away from, I'm divorcing my wife because she burnt the dinner. You know, she's got major issues. Well, we're pretty much saying, I divorce you because I don't, there's things I don't like about you. I don't like this about you, I don't like that about you. So, I'm moving on. That can be where we're at. We need to take these words of Jesus seriously. We need to regain God's perspective on marriage. Difficulties will come. Any marriage, difficulties will come. That's why we promise. That's why we make these promises. To love one another, for better or for worse. And Jesus says, you know, I'm allowed, I've, I've allowed divorce because of people's hardness of hearts. God's allowed divorce for that. But when we know God, when we know Jesus, our hearts are softened by him. We don't have hard hearts anymore. He's poured out forgiveness on us. He's enabled us to forgive others. And forgiveness in a marriage is so key. I'm aware that today, in speaking to this number of people, that there will be people here who have have been divorced. And there'll be many different reasons and stories behind that. Um, And these can be hard things to hear. Marriage is intended to be exclusive and lifelong. And to fail to keep this ideal is to spoil God's plan for men and women. You can't get around that. But in saying all of that, we're not saying that divorce is the unforgivable sin. That adultery is the unforgivable sin. There is forgiveness from God because of the blood of Jesus. What can wash away our sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. We can receive forgiveness. Jesus isn't saying that any subsequent marriage can't be happy, can't be fruitful. But what it can't do is bear testimony to the one man, one woman, exclusive, for better, for worse, relationship. Till death us do part. Because that's what marriage was intended to be. It can't do that. But there is forgiveness. So Jesus here, in this passage, is reaffirming just how wonderful marriage and sex within marriage are. What wonderful gifts they are to us from God. He's saying, but adultery and lust prostitute it. Divorce demeans it. God is wanting us to value marriage as highly as he And let's remember, he's making us into a beatitude people. He's making us into a people who are poor in spirit, who are meek, who are merciful, pure in heart, and peacemakers. Those are qualities which just help us so much in our marriages. To be a peacemaker within your marriage, to be pure in heart, poor in spirit, 
to be meek, not to be quick to defend ourselves. All qualities which will help us in our marriages together. We need to pray for our marriages in the church. We need to pray for the engaged couples, the young people, that they will get married, that their marriages will reflect God's intention. We're cast upon God, each one of us, whether we're married or engaged or could be married or have been married, we're cast upon God in our quest to have marriages which display his glory to the world. What is impossible with man, and we see it so often, is possible with God. We can do it. We need God's help. He'll pour out forgiveness on us. He'll give us mercy. He'll give us grace. He'll give us strength. He's making us a beatitude people. He wants us to have marriages which glorify him. Let's pray.